Here we go. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through 30. I'm in the ESV. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless, you will quote me, you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in the Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in that time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, and all, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of God. Well, thank you, Vince, for reading that passage. Um, I'm quick, I'm just to start off, I want to bring something up. And a lot of you guys know who I am. My name's Dale. If you don't know me, my name's Dale. Um, but I've had probably about 15 people this morning say, wow, you look really good. Somebody said they didn't even recognize me because I shaved my beard, I cut my hair. Uh, I'm not wearing, yeah, twice. <laughs> I, I'm not wearing my hat, whatever. Um, and I just wanted to point that out because I see how everybody here looks at me when I don't look like this. Okay? But I appreciate the compliments. Um, today I have the great privilege of preaching on uh, such a big American holiday. Does anybody know what, what today is? It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about Super Bowl. Um, I figured I can't preach this morning without talking about Super Bowl, so let me get this little Super Bowl reference out of the way. Um, whoever wins this game today, San Francisco or Kansas City, they're the champions. <laughs> I don't think they're playing. Uh, they're champions. 
And what they're going to do is after this game, they're going to go back to either San Francisco or Kansas City. And the city is going to throw a huge parade and celebrate them as the champions that they are. Millions of people are going to come to this parade and celebrate and celebrate and celebrate. If you were here last week, Kenny had preached on the first part of, the, of Luke chapter 4, uh, talking about Jesus in the wilderness. And Kenny had titled his sermon, Jesus, Our Champion. What if San Francisco or Kansas City, what if they go back to their, their, their towns after this Super Bowl and, and the city wanted to kill them all? The city wanted to throw them off of a cliff. They're the champions, but they want to throw them off the cliff. And that's what we see here, what Vince just read at the end of of, uh, the passage in Luke 4, that Jesus, our champion, Jesus, our champion, returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and they want to throw him off of a cliff. What? Why? Why? What would make the people of Nazareth so upset at Jesus that that they want to throw him off of a cliff? And I hope to kind of answer that today. That's one of the things that I'm going to talk about. They're so upset at something that Jesus had said to them here in our passage. They're ready to kill him. Luckily, we, as we read, we know that Jesus wasn't thrown off the cliff, right? He, he, it says he walks through their mist. He literally just walks away. It's incredible. To help me explain why these these Nazarene people were so upset, I think it's also important to to address the fact that there's a problem in this world. There's a problem, there's something wrong with humanity as a whole. Would everybody agree with that? The more I thought about it, the more I realized that the problem with humanity boils down to one thing, and it is humanity's refusal to listen to God. Humanity's refusal to listen to God. The Bible is full of countless examples of this. The very beginning of the Bible, in the garden, we don't listen to God. Man doesn't listen to God. In the wilderness, Israel refuses to listen to God. Today, we just don't listen to God as a whole, as humanity. And it's not the liberals, it's not the conservatives, it's not whatever we want to blame today that's the problem with humanity. It is our refusal to listen to God. It boils down to this skewed, flawed relationship that we have to God because we don't listen to him. And out of that comes our our bitterness, our selfishness, our pride, and our anger, which we see here in in Luke chapter 4. Luckily, the Bible is, it's not just a collection of how extremely messed up we are. Even though that's a common theme throughout scripture, right? We are messed up, but it doesn't stop there. There's a problem, but we're told that there is a solution, right? Amen. Uh, In the Old Testament, God speaks either directly to people. We're told that he walks through the garden with Adam and Eve, or uh, he speaks through, through prophets, Now here in the New Testament, we're told that God speaks through Jesus, like we see in in Luke chapter four. So it's important for us to listen to what Jesus has to say, right? God is speaking through Jesus. Let's listen to him. In Luke chapter nine, verse 35, this is when Jesus is on the, the Mount of Transfiguration with some of his disciples. 
I believe we have it up here. It says, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God calls us to listen to Jesus. Would you consider yourself a good listener this morning? Would the people around you say that you're a good listener? Listening isn't only about audible hearing, right? Listening means making the effort to, to hear and more importantly, to understand what is being communicated to you. And I'll be the first to admit, I read scripture sometimes and I'm just reading the words, kind of skimming over it. I'm not comprehending. I'm not understanding what's being communicated. I'm not listening. God says, listen to my words, listen to Jesus. So this, this morning, what I want to do is I want to discover and I want us to just listen to what Jesus has to say. Especially since this passage that we're talking about today is considered the official start of Jesus's ministry. Luke 4 is sometimes considered Jesus's mission statement. How important is a mission statement for an organization, anything, right? Our church has a mission statement. Its mission statement is defined as a formal summary of the aims and the values of a company, organization, or individual. What we have here is the summary of Jesus's, um, his ministry. So I want to understand I want to, I want to figure out, I want to comprehend what Jesus has to say. And I'm so thankful um, that Vince and, and Kenny allow me to preach this morning because it, what it does is it, it, it causes me to just stop and to get past my normal, just skimming scripture it causes me to stop and to listen and to comprehend the word. Uh, I just want to set up this passage before we really dive in. Um, this whole occasion is super interesting. It's kind of weird. But Jesus, he was born in Nazareth, but he grew up in the Galilean town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was a population of about 1,500 people at this time. He was the son of Mary. He was the son of Joseph, who was a carpenter. I'm sure when he was growing up, he ran around with all the little kids, just living a normal life. Everybody knew him in the town of Nazareth. We don't have a lot of stories of Jesus as a child. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, we talked about Jesus in the temple at Jerusalem when he was 12. Besides that, 18 years goes by. Now Jesus is at the age of 30. This is when he starts his ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And then he goes out into the wilderness and he was tempted. He was there for 40 days like Kenny preached about last week. So this is where we are in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in, uh, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is Jesus' start to his ministry. God calls us to hear him. God calls us to listen to him. This is his mission statement. And then it goes on in verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Are we listening? 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So Jesus opens this Isaiah scroll. Now in Nazareth, they were probably very familiar with this Isaiah scroll. It's, a, it's out of Isaiah 61, talking about their coming Messiah, their coming deliverer. It was their custom back in the day that everybody in the synagogue stood up when the scripture was read, and then everybody, including the person who was teaching, would sit down for this teaching. This, uh, this, the people of Nazareth, they most likely had heard that Jesus was a, an incredible teacher. In verse 15, it says he was teaching in synagogues and was glorified by all. There was probably, all eyes were fastened on him, eagerly waiting to hear what Jesus had to say. They want to hear Jesus teach. They knew him since he was a little kid. They, they knew him his whole life. He was Joseph's son. Let's hear what he has to say. And as they're sitting there, I'm sure they, they, they knew it was Isaiah 61. They're probably like, oh, this is going to be a great teaching about our coming Messiah. Sometime he's going to come. I don't know when. Jesus reads Isaiah 61, and this is his teaching. He sits down, and this is Jesus' teaching. In verse 20, it says, And the eyes of all in this synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is Jesus' teaching. He reads, reads the scripture, sits down, and says, I am who Isaiah is talking about. I am your Messiah. God is going to redeem his people through me. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Jews had this idea of a Messiah who's going to be a, a mighty king. He, he'd gather a huge army and, and he would fight the oppressors and conquer them and set up Israel as a mighty nation. And they're going to be the supreme nation in the entire world. That's what they thought their Messiah was going to be. And here Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. Not only did he say, I'm the Messiah, he says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here to, to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus never says, I'm here to, to conquer the Romans. He's not saying, I'm here to, to be your king. He's saying, I'm here to preach good news to the poor. And these Nazarene people, they didn't understand, they were confused. Jesus, the one we've known for 30 years, the carpenter's son is the Messiah. Not only that, he's not talking about conquering the world. He's talking about bringing good news to the poor and, and healing blind eyes. You're supposed to reign as a mighty king. They were shocked. And it wasn't only those in the Nazareth synagogue. Uh, we, we know later on, uh, John the Baptist, he's, he's in prison. He asked Jesus, are you the one? I think we have the verse. It's Matthew 11, verse two and three. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John the Baptist is confused about Jesus being the Messiah. John says, I believed at first, but what are you doing? You're hanging out with those people. You're teaching what? You're supposed to conquer the world. 
John the Baptist was confused. People didn't understand Jesus's message. They heard him audibly, but they didn't understand. They didn't comprehend. I think even today, people, obviously people have a hard time understanding Jesus's message. Christianity is this great philosophy. It's a great set of moral teachings, but that's not it. What Jesus's message is shocking. It's different. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news. At first glance, some of his teachings don't sound like good news. If, if you want to follow me, leave literally everything behind. Is that good news? In Matthew 8, we're told this story. This is, this is an interesting one. One day, Jesus invited a man to follow him and become his disciple, but the man refused. He said he would follow Jesus later, but first he wanted to go bury his father who had just died. Jesus responded, follow me and let the dead bury their own. Your father just died. Don't worry about him. Come follow me. Is that good news? The Sermon on the Mount. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. Or the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they, tell, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil. Is that good news? Love your enemies. Is that good news? When somebody punches you in the face, turn the other cheek. Don't, don't knock them out. Is that good news? If you're forced to walk a mile, you're supposed to walk an extra mile. Do these things sound like good news? Do they cause us to rejoice? <laughs> At first glance, it's, it's really hard to see. But in our passage, I tell you, Jesus is speaking the most gracious words this world has ever heard. And he's promising good news. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay, so we'll just, let's just take that. Yeah, that sounds like great news for people who are captives, blind, poor, and oppressed, right? That sounds like great news. But why isn't the world rejoicing in Jesus' teaching today? Why aren't people saying, that's it, this is what I've been waiting for? You see, most of the world has heard Jesus's message. They understand what, what Jesus is teaching, yet they reject it. Why? It's because they don't believe that Jesus's message is for them. I've been anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. I don't have three points for you guys today. I just want to focus on this word poor. Focus on the word poor. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. It's only the poor who, realize, who realizes that Jesus' message is, in fact, good news. If you consider yourself rich in the sense I'm going to talk about, there's no need for Jesus' message. Yeah. At least they don't think they need Jesus' message. When I talk about poor, it's not talking about money. I'm not talking about finances or, or your financial standing. I wouldn't even try to pronounce the Greek word that's used in this scripture. <laughs> but it means somebody who has been reduced to begging 
Or, or I'll say this, somebody with nothing to give, but is in desperate need of receiving. Somebody, somebody who is humbly aware of their dire need. Look at the Pharisees back in Jesus' day. They didn't think they were poor. They didn't think they were blind or captives. And they hated Jesus. They mocked his message because it meant absolutely nothing to them. In their minds, they didn't think they needed anything. So that's why when we read in this passage, in the synagogue, the, the Nazarenes, they heard Jesus' message, but they didn't think it was for, for them. They didn't need Jesus. Let's just throw him off a cliff. He's crazy. They didn't see themselves as, as beggars or in need. Jesus claims to be the Messiah that they were waiting for, but he calls them poor. How is this good news for them? They couldn't comprehend that Jesus actually was the Messiah. Let's throw him off the cliff. The Nazarenes were offended by this. Are we offended by this today? Is it offensive for me to stand up here and say, Jesus has good news but only for the poor, only for the blind, only for the captives, and only for the oppressed. Is that offensive? Are we offended today? Well, luckily for us, this good news is actually for us because we're poor. Every single person to ever walk this earth is spiritually poor. We need to realize that by nature, we are spiritually poor. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. You're, you're poor. <laughs> you're blind. You're captives. Satan's clever because he'll tell us, you've got it all figured out. You have everything you need. You don't need a savior. Let's look at some scripture. The very first beatitude Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know they're in need of a savior for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if anybody is thirsty, let him come. If anybody's hungry, let him come to me. It's not the healthy that need the doctors. It's the sick that do. You guys remember the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, he's there eating from the, the pig troughs. He realizes that he has absolutely nothing. And he runs to his father who gives him everything he could possibly need and more. Or what about in Luke 18, verse 13? It's talking about a tax collector. It says the tax collector stood at a distance unwilling to even lift his eyes up to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do we think this tax collector knows that he's spiritually poor? That he has nothing to give? We need to know that our human condition from the very beginning is that we're spiritually poor. We have nothing to offer. Um, I know it's kind of a little heavy. I might be getting a little hot in here. I don't know if you guys are. I'm standing up here telling, how, telling you guys how poor you are. 
I was going to tell a dad joke because I'm going to be a dad. I don't know. But I don't think there is a need to tell a joke because what I'm going to say the rest of this sermon is great news for us who are poor. I don't need to break the ice by telling a joke. Um, The thing is, Jesus isn't being exclusive by saying that his good news is only for the poor. That's not exclusive. It doesn't exclude anyone. In light of Jesus's holiness and in light of his glory, every single person to ever live is poor. We are so far off. But what it comes down to is, is are we willing to humble ourselves saying, I'm in need? Saying, Jesus, I need you. Look at the apostle Paul. Uh, he was... He thought himself as spiritually wealthy. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And on that road to Damascus, when he met Jesus in all of Jesus's glory, he met Jesus and he said, everything that I had before is dung, is rubbish. Paul realizes his spiritual, his condition. He thought he had it all, but he was so wrong. Jesus says he comes to bring good news to people like that. And if I stop right there, again, this is heavy, right? But that's not it. There is good news. If we think, if we see ourselves as spiritually poor, there is good news. Let me tell you what this good news is. It's the greatest news the world has ever heard. If you realize you're in need of a savior, if you realize you're spiritually poor, this is the gospel. That the exceeding riches of God's grace has been given to you, it's yours for free. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead, He made us alive when we were poor. He made us rich. Now, Jesus, he was was rich. He was seated at the right hand of the Father, but he became poor so that we can be rich. He is the Son of God. He shares with God the riches of glory. He was with the Father in the beginning. He is eternally rich. But he came down from that glory to be a a humble man from the town of Nazareth. He didn't have a place to sleep. (laughs) It says the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He left the right hand of the Father to take our place He says to the poor, I've come to give you the riches of God. He came to die in our place. Our relationship to God, like I said in the beginning, was so 
skewed and messed up. It's not supposed, it's not what it was supposed to be. And that was, that's the problem. But Jesus is the solution. He brings us to God. He reconciles us to God. This is great news. I don't know if you guys are still tense, but like, I don't know. This is, this is great news. He had come down from heaven to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God. And he did so by dying on the cross in our place. Through his death and resurrection, he gives us righteousness. He gives us eternal life. Through the cross, Christ gives us everything that we could ever possibly need. We were beggars. We had nothing. We have nothing to give. But because Christ came down, took our place, he gave us everything we could possibly need. Again, Jesus said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let me read it again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's talking about us in this passage. He made us rich. Let me, let me just wrap this up. If you're financially poor and somebody gives you a million dollars for free, that's good news, right? You're poor, now you're a millionaire. As cliche as this might sound, if you know you're spiritually poor, God offers to freely forgive all of your sins through Christ. That is the greatest news the world has ever heard. From death to life, from poverty to immense richness. The worship team, you guys can come on up now. I just want to leave us uh, with this question, or with a few questions, just for us to, to kind of figure out where we are this morning. Do we find ourselves puffed up in our religious ways like Paul was? Do you think you have it all figured out this morning? Are you even aware of your spiritual poverty this morning? And if you are aware and you're in Christ, are we every single day thanking him for his mercy? <laughs> when we had nothing, he gave us everything. And are we living like somebody who's been made rich or made alive? There's an old hymn called Rock of Ages. And one of the verses says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Isn't that beautiful? I have nothing, I have absolutely nothing to give to God. But by the grace of God and, and by the work of, of Jesus on that cross, I have everything that I could ever possibly need. That's when Jesus' message becomes good news to us. That's when Jesus' message becomes good news to the world is when we realize we can't bring anything to him and we can only receive 
from him. Let me pray. Father, again, we have nothing, nothing to offer you. You're so, so, so holy. We are so, so, so broken. Help us see our need for you. We thank you for the cross and what it means for us. You made us alive. You made us rich. You opened our eyes. You set us free. Humble us this week. Remind us of your your amazing love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so right now we're going to respond. And there's a few ways we, uh, we do that here at New City. You can come down and partake in communion. Uh, you can come down and pray uh, with a prayer team. I know they'd love to pray with you. Or you could just sit in your seats and join with us in worship of our wonderful Father.